All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob Podcast. I am taping this. It is Wednesday, February 22nd, and we are talking Creighton, Creighton, Creighton on this pod. So here we go. Wow, what a game in Omaha on Tuesday night. Creighton, Marquette, that was a heavyweight battle, man. That felt like an NCAA tournament game and is just an incredible environment. The arena was rocking, and you got to tip your cap to Marquette. You got to tip your cap to Marquette. They outscored the Blue Jays 41-31 to in the second half to win 73-71. And that was a championship-level performance in the second half for, for Marquette. They, uh, it, there's a lot to talk about here. You know, Marquette deserved to win that game, despite some of the drama at the end. We got a lot to unpack because there was a lot at stake with this one. Uh, I was telling people, before that game that I thought I thought that was the biggest home game since the 2020 regular season finale versus Seton Hall where Creighton beat beat the Hall and and clinched a, a Big East title. I, I thought this Creighton Marquette game was the biggest game, biggest home game since that 2020 Seton Hall regular season finale. I mean, it's just Creighton and Marquette, two top 20 teams, two top 15 Ken Palm teams, two top 15 net ranking teams, two teams at the top of the Big East standings. The winner of the game was big time in the driver's seat to win the Big East regular season crown. I mean, there was a ton riding on this game. A ton. And this, this game... It was amazing how it truly was a tale of two halves. I thought Creighton totally controlled the first half, and I thought Marquette completely dominated the second half. In the first half, Creighton did all the necessary things they needed to do to win the game. They didn't turn the ball over. Only six turnovers in the first half. They made life tough on at the rim for Marquette. Marquette leads the country in two-point field goal percentage, and Creighton made it hard at the 10 Creighton held Marquette to 11 of 23 from two-point range in the first half. And then I thought Creighton offensively, I thought they were getting good shots. I thought Creighton was getting out and running in transition and hurting Marquette in the open floor. And even the bench for Creighton was good. An area that has been a big, big weakness for the Jays was good in the first half. Creighton's bench averages 11 points per game, which is ranks 344th in the country. Keep in mind, there's about 352 or so teams. So like basically, when you're in that 340 range, you're you're like getting close to worst in the country at something. And Creighton's bench came in, scored 10 points in the first half. And, you know, I told Kugler at halftime, we took off our headsets, we were talking, and I told Kugler at halftime that I thought Creighton was was closer to really taking control of the game and winning by 15 to 20 points than it going the other way. Like Creighton had a 12-point lead. I think it was 32 to 20, if I'm not mistaken. was the It was 32 to 20 at one point with about five minutes to go in the first half. And it just kind of felt like Creighton was in complete control and Marquette wasn't. And as the second half was going to get underway, I felt like, it was a matter of time before Creighton completely seized control, got up to 15, 18 points or whatever. But instead, the second half just completely flipped. Creighton took their defensive, or excuse me, Marquette took the defensive pressure up another level, up another couple of levels. I mean, they ratcheted it up. Like, you sit sitting courtside, the energy and fight and the 
the way Marquette was flying around was wow. Creighton took a few minutes to try to get their bearings and never really could. Marquette took the defense up and Creighton kind of melted. Marquette forced nine turnovers in the second half and Creighton got totally out of sorts offensively. And I'll expand on that in a second. But And then Marquette, conversely, got completely comfortable on offense and completely lived in the paint. Marquette scored 24 points in the paint in the second half. Marquette was 12 of 17 from two in the second half. And in a very broad, broad, oversimplified way, that was the game. Like, Creighton took care of the ball in the first half, and in the second half, they didn't. Creighton defended the paint pretty well in the first half. In the second half, they didn't. Creighton operated offensively with comfort and got a lot of good shots in the first half. In the second half, they didn't. And Marquette kind of did what what they do. They lead the Big East in steals. They're ninth in the country in steals. They turn Creighton over. Marquette is third in Ken Palm offensive efficiency ranking in the country. Got the third best offense in the country. Lead the country in two-point field goal percentage. They were awesome in the second half offensively. Scored 41 points in the second half, shot 51% from the field in the second half. Tyler Kolick was the best player on the floor. He makes his two little floaters at the end of the game, two game-winning shots, right? And in my opinion, the biggest player of the year is his to lose now. And again, you got to hand it to Marquette. That was a big-time performance. In that second half, on the road, sold out CHI Health Center, crowd is rocking, down 12, and Marquette didn't blink, didn't flinch, punched right back, leaned on their identity, and won the game. I wrote down a bunch of different things and thoughts for Creighton, and I kind of just want to go through them. Some kind of big picture things, some are with that game specifically. I guess the first one we got to get into what the drama was at the end of the game and some of the calls, no calls late in the final two seconds of that game. I was obviously calling the game courtside. I've watched the replays now. And the foul on Ryan Nemhard with about two seconds left, I didn't like the call from Jeffrey Anderson the more I've watched it. I didn't love it at the time. Sometimes things are happening fast and real. And when you're seeing replays, and I, I didn't quite have a great sense of how I viewed it. I didn't love it at the time. The more I've watched it, I don't think I like the call at all. Nemhard, yeah, he was grabbing Cam Jones a little bit, but come on, man. In those base on a bounce situations, there is grabbing and pushing going on. And it wasn't even that egregious of a grab. I thought Nemhard poked the ball clean. And what's amazing is the ball got poked right to Ryan Kalkbrenner and he was going to have a layup. In fact, he turned and made the little flip up as the whistle was blowing. That would have tied the game and put it in overtime. Unbelievable. Now, Greg McDermott lost it for a second and I don't blame him. But I, but I can say all that. We got to be clear though. Because I feel like I feel like we can have we act like we can't compartmentalize these these things. Like I can sit here and say like I didn't like the call, but I can also say technically there was some contact from Ryan Nemhard, so I suppose I can get it if you're going to be like, hey, he grabbed him, that's a foul. Okay, I suppose I get it. I can say both of those things, and can I can also say that the refs didn't cost Creighton the game. Stop it. If anybody's saying that, I don't even know if I'm building a straw man here, but I know that was there was a lot of chatter about the refs. Creighton lost the game by what I just laid out initially, right? Turned the ball over in the second half, couldn't guard Marquette, 
Creighton couldn't handle the pressure, the ball pressure. That's what lost the game, not this one single call. But I didn't like the call. I like Jeff er- Jeffrey Anderson a lot, you know, doing games here for you know almost 10 years in the in the Big East. I see I see Jeffrey Anderson a lot. Like I think he's a good official. I think he missed that one. Also, I could argue that Baylor Shireman got fouled by Cam Jones on the three-quarter court shot at the buzzer, too, at the, at the end of the game. Because here's the thing. If you're one of those people that's like, hey, man, Nemhard grabbed Cam Jones, a foul's a foul, you got to call it. Okay, that's fine. If a foul's a foul, to all those people then, if you're going to call the foul on Nemhard, then you have to call the foul on Cam Jones. Well, no, don't give me that shit. Well, Nick, don't give me that. Can't have it both ways. See, I am one of those guys. Like, I always feel like I hate playing this card. I can't believe I'm about to do it. People that never played the game are like, a foul's a foul, and you call it how you see it. Fuck that. The game is different in the final moments of games in the final possessions the final minute things are different trust me I've been there I've been on the floor games are exponentially more physical final possessions of games those the inbounds play we're talking about with Nemhart like things are different there okay and so I I do think there is situational officiating that needs to be the case and I'm sorry like I again I hate to play this card if you see it differently you probably didn't play that's just how I see it. But for all the people out there that, you know, uh, like if if you like the call on and thought it was the right call on Ryan Nemhard on Cam Jones, then Cam Jones fouled by Baylor Shireman. Shireman got the rebound, was trying to go up for a shot. Cam Jones made contact with Shireman as he was trying to heave a three-quarter court shot at the at the buzzer. You can't have it both ways. And for me, I wouldn't have blown the whistle on either of them. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. And I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it. And how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella. Won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that bottom line energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable and Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency check them out online PellaOmaha.com that's PellaOmaha.com I wouldn't have blown the whistle on either of them I thought it was a bonehead play by Cam Jones to even like put himself in that spot but I wouldn't have blown the whistle on either of those in those spots I don't like either like I don't think either were fouls in my opinion I wouldn't have called the foul on Ryan Nemhart. wouldn't have called the foul on Cam Jones but if you call one, I kind of think you got to call the other. So that's kind of how I saw all of that. But again, Creighton didn't lose the game because of those two calls or no calls, whatever. So we act like we can't compartmentalize these things. We can. Those are two big calls. Both didn't go Creighton's way, but Creighton also got dominated the entire second half. And that's why Marquette 
won the game. Not because of Jeffrey Anderson or any of the calls late. So that's kind of the first thought I had. Second second thought is on Ryan Kalkbender. Man, for as much as we talk about what lost the game, you know, Kalkbender needed to get involved. That was as big of a of a factor as, as anything else. I kept saying it on the broadcast in the final 10 minutes. Like Creighton's got to get Kalkbender the ball. He's they gotta get him involved offensively. Kalkbender was a non-factor in that game. Creighton couldn't even get Kalkbrenner touches at the in the post. Kalkbrenner, who shoots 70% from the field, third in the country, he only took five shots. That was a huge part of the game, a much bigger part of the game than Jeffrey Anderson's call on Nemhart. So what happened? How come Kalkbrenner didn't get, didn't get touches? Okay, so what, what happened was Marquette was switching a lot of screens, in particular ball screens, with Kalkbrenner. And then on switches, they would pressure the ball. And that ball pressure was so hot and so in Creighton's grill that Creighton couldn't get the ball inside to Kalkbrenner, who would have a mismatch with a guard on. So Marquette would switch on ball screens, pressure the ball, and then the guard who was on Kalkbrenner, Kolick, Stevie Mitchell, uh, you name it, would try to front Kalkbrenner. And that was what Marquette was doing for the vast majority of the second half. So Creighton couldn't punish the switches from Marquette. And also by switching those ball screens, Creighton couldn't get in their pick and roll game. They couldn't get the pick roll lob to the rim that you see all the time. I don't think they had one of those yesterday. I don't think Nemhard and Kalkbrenner had a single pick roll lob. I'm not even sure if they had like an attempt of it. And the reality is that's how Kalkbrenner gets the lion's share of his points. Pick roll to the rim. So kudos to Marquette for the game plan there and getting it done. By the way, Villanova switches screens, and that's who Creighton plays next on Saturday, so they better figure it out. You know, Because Creighton, I think it's pretty clear, Creighton has a really hard time scoring when Kalkbrenner isn't involved. I mean, every game that Creighton really struggles to score, it's usually either when Kalkbrenner's out or Kalkbrenner's not rolling. He was neutralized on offense, man. He really was. Only five shots. And he wasn't as impactful on defense as he usually is. He was pretty disruptive in the first half. I thought he did a pretty good job. But he just, I don't know if it was more about Marquette or more, I don't, I'm not sure, but he was a step slow on defense in the second half. Kolek scored at the rim. Iguodaro scored at the rim. Cam Jones got it going a little bit. Again, 46 points in the paint for the game for Marquette. Marquette shot 51% from the floor in the second half and shot 12 of 17 from two in the second half. That hasn't happened to Kalkbrenner very much when he's been healthy over the past two years. But I will say this. It is remarkable in that game. Creighton couldn't survive a minute without Kalkbrenner on the floor. Whoever, excuse me, whenever he left the floor, Marquette went on a run. In fact, I wonder if in hindsight, when Creighton got up 12 in the first half, Greg McDermott subbed Kalkbrenner out and and he might have even subbed he might have had four bench guys in there with one starter. And Kalkbrenner's one of the guys out. And immediately, Marquette scored twice at the rim, and Creighton turned it over twice. And Marquette cuts into the lead. When you look at the box score, Creighton, Kalkbrenner was the only starter who had a positive plus-minus for the game. Only starter, he was plus four. No other starter. Kaluma was minus six. Nemhard was minus six. Trey Alexander was uh, zero, 
and Shireman was minus two. Kalkbrenner was plus four. He played almost 35 minutes, so in the four to five minutes that he was out, things slipped bad. So for as much as we say, like, boy, Kalkbrenner, this, that, we're like, he... He is the MVP of this team. We know this. It's been established. I thought that was on display in in a variety of ways. Couldn't get him involved offensively. When he went off the floor, things really slipped. Wanted to point that out. Wanted to look at uh, at, at some of Greg McDermott's coaching moves. Because um, he made some good ones. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, I'm sure Coach Mack probably wishes and, and needed to go zone a little earlier. Because Marquette was rolling in the second half. And once Creighton went 2-3 zone, that's when the game kind of flipped and, and Marquette went cold and Creighton got back into the game. So it's easy to sit here now and say, like, should have gone zone sooner. But what's hard, though, is in real time, Creighton is in a zone team. That's not what they do. They are a really good man-to-man team. So it's challenging to go away from who you are when it's been good and served you well all throughout the year with a huge game in front of you. But to me, it just it was clear that Creighton couldn't guard Marquette man to man in the second half. About ten minutes in, that was evident. So there's that as well. Greg McDermott also went to a he, he made a decision to uh, hack uh, Igadaro late, intentionally foul Oso Igadaro and put him at the free throw line. He intentionally fouled him. Uh, Igadaro is a fifty percent free throw shooter, and unfortunately, Igadaro stepped up and made them both. And what's hard is, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't mind the decision. I really don't. Greg McDermott's a, a numbers guy, a percentages guy. He's always going to play the percentages. And I, I understand why he did what he did. I didn't – The my thing is I don't know if I loved when he did it. Because if I'm not mistaken, Creighton was on a 7-0 run at the time, and Marquette hadn't scored in a while, like at least four minutes. So I didn't love the timing of it. But I understood the thought process of – of the thought process of it. Again, hindsight's twenty twenty with all this stuff. But Mac did touch a lot of the right buttons in going zone, and, and I thought one of the buttons he pushed that was right was, did you see who he closed the game with? Who he had on the floor closing the game with? Greg McDermott closed the game with Kaluma out and Farabello in. And I actually thought, given the complexion of that game and how things that have unfolded, I thought it was the right move. I thought that was the right five guys to have on the floor. Kaluma was struggling. He was one for six. And Creighton needed ball handling on the floor to deal with Marquette's pressure that I just talked about a little bit ago. And they also needed shooting on the floor to space it. And Farabello's a better ball handler and a better shooter than, than Kaluma. And some of you may say, well, why, why didn't you go with Sharif Mitchell? Well, the reason for that, in my opinion, is because Creighton was playing zone. Now, if Creighton was playing man-to-man, then you go with Sharif Mitchell. You saw what Sharif Mitchell did in spurts trying to come in there and guard Tyler Kolick. But Creighton was closing the game in a 2-3 zone, so it made sense to go with Farabello. And you needed ball handling and shooting on the floor. And he's a better option for those two things than Kaluma and Sharif Mitchell right now. So I actually thought who he had on the floor closing the games was the was the right combination of guys. It just didn't work. You know, it just they didn't they didn't get it done. They almost did. Going zone, having Farabello out there, like it almost worked. It almost worked. The other guy we got to talk about is Baylor Shireman. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza and the cold winter months. It's officially here. And as a warm weather lover myself, the cold can kind of bum me out. But the one thing that always puts a huge smile on my face when it gets cold, temperature Tuesdays at Runza. Yes, it's that time of the year. 
Temperature Tuesdays are back at Runza, where every Tuesday in January and February, the 6 a.m. temperature at the coldest Runza location is the price you'll pay for an original Runza sandwich when you buy a medium fry and medium drink. Think about it. An original Runza sandwich might be 10 cents, a dime, might be a nickel, might be a quarter. Heck, might even be one penny. Just one penny. So make sure you take advantage of this incredible deal every single Tuesday at Runza where the temp at 6 a.m. in Runzaland is the price you pay for an original Runza sandwich and you buy a medium fry and a medium drink. It's back, baby. Temperature Tuesdays. Runza makes it all better. It's Shireman now, he's got to get it going a little bit. Shireman is last, and I'm talking about from three. Shireman is last four games is now 7 for 34 from 3. He was 3 for 11 last night against Marquette, and he he hit a few bomb big ones. But still, he's been pretty cold for the past four games last two weeks. And in some ways, you could argue that Creighton beats Providence at Providence and Marquette if Shireman shot it better, especially the Providence game. He was cold in both games. He got good looks in both games. And Creighton... Lost them both. It's funny. So I'm at shoot-around. I'm at Marquette's shoot-around. I'm talking to uh, to Shaka Smart. And I asked Shaka, I said, well, I said, who who on Creighton's of their starting five are you most concerned with? Is there a guy that you feel like is more important than the others? And he said, you know, Nick, it's tough because Creighton's so balanced. They got five guys that can all kind of go off. They got they're They're good in that regard. But he said to me, if I had to pick one guy to play bad, it would be Shireman. And I think he's right. I've told you, I think I think Creighton is directly tied to him. I think Kalkbrenner's well, the MVP, but like in terms of like when, when Shireman plays well, it really lifts everybody up. And they really need his three-point shooting. And while Shireman was, wasn't bad in that game, he had 18 points and 13 rebounds for crying out loud. It's not like he was bad. I don't want to make it seem like that. Kid you know, he fought his ass off, 13 rebounds, 12 of them were defensive. You know, he hit some big shots, but they, they need him to get out of the shooting funk. Seven for 34 in, the next, in his last four games. They need his three-point shooting bad. Shireman's got to get into a better rhythm shooting the ball. So... You know, all in all, frustrating night for Creighton. At home, great crowd. You know, Marquette had him, had Marquette down 12 at one point. Big East regular season races. You're really in the driver's seat if you win this game and you let it slip away and Marquette punks you in the second half and wins. Frustrating. 73-71 final score. Another close game. And speaking of close games, I talked about this on a podcast in December. And I went and I pulled up my Word document of, of that podcast. Let me I want to reread you what I wrote back in mid-December, and then I'm going to tie it back with, with what's going on right now. But this is I wrote this. It was on one of the pods I dropped in December. It was right after uh, I think it was right after Creighton lost to Arizona State in Vegas. So they were had just lost to BYU and Arizona State in Vegas. So this is I, I, I let me reread what I wrote back in mid-December a couple months ago. So here it is. Creighton last year, in games decided by seven points or less, they played 16 games last year that were t- decided by seven points or less. And their record was 10-6. and six. Pretty good. But let's dig deeper. 
Two of those six losses by seven points or less were to Villanova in the Big East Tournament Finals at Madison Square Garden and to Kansas in the second round of the NCAA Tournament. So two of those six close losses were to two Final Four teams, and one of them was the eventual national champ. But the more interesting thing is this. So again, Creighton played last year in 16 games decided by seven points or less. In the first 12 games that were decided by seven points or less, Creighton went nine and three. Think about that. Creighton at one point was nine and three in games decided by seven points or less. The games were Kennesaw State, Southern Illinois, SIU Edwardsville, Iowa State, Arizona State, at Marquette, at Xavier, at UConn, Butler, Marquette, at St. John's, and then UConn at home. That's 12 games that could have gone either way, and Creighton won nine of them. Not to mention two games where they trailed at half and won. Arkansas Pine Bluff in the opener trailed 47-38 at half, trailed 53-40 with 18 minutes left in the second half, won. And DePaul at home, trailed 32 to 23 at half and trailed 36 to 26 with 17 minutes left in the game and won. So really it's basically like 14 games that could have gone either way and Creighton found a way to win 11 of those first 14 games. But to stick with the seven points or less thing for consistency, in the first 12 games of this season that were decided by Seven points or less. Again, Creighton went nine and three last year. Went nine and three in the first 12 games set up by seven points or less. Talking about last year. That created confidence that shaped the season. Now, if that number is flipped and they go three and nine or hell even go six and six, the whole year last season could have gone different. But Creighton was surprisingly good in those games with such a young and inexperienced team. They won those close games. It got them confident. And when you contrast it with this year, Creighton is 1-4 and four in close games. Beat Arkansas 90-87, then lost to Arizona 81-79. Lost to Texas 72-67. Lost to BYU 83-80. Lost to Arizona 73-71. All those games could have gone either way. And Creighton lost four of the five close ones so far. And again, oftentimes that can shape your season. That's what I wrote and recorded on December 18th. Well, here we are three months later, late February. And Creighton, in my opinion, has continued to just be pretty meh in close games. So like I laid out, Creighton was one in four in games decided by seven points or less to start this year. Since that point, Creighton is 4-3 and three in close games for a grand total of 5-7 and seven in games decided by 7 points or less. 12 games that could have gone either way, and Creighton has lost 7 of them. Creighton has only won 5 games this year decided by 7 points or less. Creighton won 11, 10 or 11 games decided by 7 points or less last year. If Creighton was a little better in close games throughout this year, like Creighton was last year, I think this season is potentially even more different than it already has unfolded. Creighton is likely going to be in more close games now down the stretch 
in March in the Big East tournament, in the NCAA tournament. Creighton better be a little better in, in these close game moments than they've been so far. Had another close game moment. I mean, Trey Alexander had a wide open three against Marquette last night. Missed it. Baylor Shireman had the ball down two at Xavier. Drove in, turned it over. Had, a, had the ball down two, sat out of bounds at, against Arizona, Hawaii. Didn't didn't get a didn't get a clean look. Had the ball sideline of bounds at Marquette. Threw it in. Got trapped. Had to heave up something bad. Like they've not been great. Now they've been good. Villanova at home. UConn at home. There's been some games where they've been pretty good in those close games. But overall, this team's not been great in those spots. And if they were, if this team was good in close games, oh man, totally different deal. Totally, completely different deal. So there you go. Listen, I mean, frustrating missed opportunity last night in, in Creighton falling to Marquette, but the season isn't over. I mean, far from it, obviously. Creighton losing to Marquette, it's just, all that did is just made one of the goals that this this team had winning a Big East regular season title is probably likely off the board now, barring some craziness in the final week of the season here. But Creighton still has two more goals out there. Big East Tournament Championship and then the NCAA Tournament and trying to make as deep of a run as possible. Tons to still play for. Tons of really important basketball ahead of this team. I still really believe in this team. I still really believe in this staff, obviously. Just a frustrating missed opportunity with Marquette. But a big one this Saturday now. Better better turn the page quick. Because you got to go to Philadelphia to take on Villanova. Creighton at Nova. It's an 11 a.m. Central Time tip. I'm on the call on Fox with Tim Brando for that game. I'm pumped for it. Villanova just upset Xavier in the Cintas Center, something no Big East team has been able to do to go in the Cintas Center and emerge victorious, but Nova just did. Justin Moore is back and getting it going. He was awesome in Cincinnati in the upset over Xavier. And let's not forget, Villanova gave Creighton everything they could handle in Omaha. Everything they could handle. And Villanova, I think, is playing better now. So, huge game on Saturday against a Villanova team that I think is sneaky dangerous. And as Justin Moore continues to get his you know game legs under him and get his rhythm and flow back, you're going to see Villanova be a dangerous, dangerous team. So... There you go. All right, that'll do it for the pod. Appreciate everybody supporting and listening. My thanks to Runza and Pella, incredible partners. We will see you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. A Heard at Sports Network production.